when you're down and trouble and you need some love and care and nothing well nothing is going right close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studio, home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowler's Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show is regularly scheduled at the same time each week. PBA Hall of Famer Len Nicholson started the show in 2002. Since then, he's recorded over 1,100 shows featuring over 400 different guests, a literal who's who in bowling. So, Phantom fans, let's welcome our host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Cagle Company. The first thing I want to do is thank everybody for all the emails that they sent regarding last week's show with Larry Lickstein paying tribute to Harry Smith. That's the most emails I ever got in one day uh, about one of our shows. So obviously you're all happy about it. But Phantom fans, when we started this podcast back in 2002, we promised to pass along knowledge and information to the bowling public in a positive manner in the hopes that we would help to promote the sport the best way that we knew how. We also knew that the success of this show would require us to inform the listeners of the sport's great history and tradition. And this week will be another special tribute show. And unfortunately, we recently lost another friend and Hall of Famer, Roy Buckley. And here to help me again honor Roy is the Toastmaster in all of bowling, but he's a PBA and USBC Hall of Famer. He bowled on the tour for years. He ran the locker room for years. Everybody loves him and respects him. And he's a bowling legend. And you all know him. He's Larry Lickstein. And I want to welcome back, Litchie. And first of all, thanks for being here again. And I've got one question that I want you to answer. And then you can go on and tell as many stories as you can. Do you remember the first time that you saw Roy Buckley bowl? Well, I think I do, Len. First and foremost, uh, to Roy's family and friends, uh, it's pretty tough losing him. Um, you know, he was just this very special man, and um, you had to know him. You just had to know him to really understand what a wonderful person he really was. And I believe I saw him bowl for the first time. Well, I do remember the fall tour of 1969 uh, in Rochester, New York, the Bellows Valvere Open. He did make match play, but and I bowled him in that match play. But I believe the first time I saw him was the 1969 New England Open in Cranston, Rhode Island. And uh, I remember thinking, watching him, yeah, he's not so good. He throws the ball straight. There's really not a lot on it. Now, keep in mind, I was pretty cocky and pretty good at that time in my life. And I really did not see anything special. He didn't look special. And I think 
that's the best part of all because he ended up being <laughs> so great that he was special. And the reason was, uh, other than maybe Burton and maybe Earl, uh, he might have been the most the most accurate bowler of his generation. And uh, he might have been more accurate than Earl. I know that's kind of hard to believe, but you didn't see a real a real standout game. In other words, he didn't look like Jimmy Stefanich, you know. Uh, you know, he he, he he you know he didn't look like Burton, who was just fantastic great approach you know of of that era but my god was he accurate and and uh, fierce fierce competitor ice water in his veins as i as i realized by the early winter tour of 1970 that he was very good i didn't think he was as good as i was keep in mind that's the way i i i thought i remember as we started to wind through the winter, I remember thinking, "This this guy is is uh, is is a little better than everybody thinks." Because number one, he didn't have any area; he, he didn't know how to create area, so you didn't you didn't see anything special. Uh, if, if it was weekends and solid fours, that's all you saw the whole block. Yeah, sevens, tens, and fours, and a triple and clean. And a double and, you know, five spares and a triple. And then little by little, by 72, he, he's starting to get it. In other words, he's starting to realize his place in the bowling world. You know, he's picking it up. He's watched the best that ever lived now for a couple of years. At about 50 tournaments in, it starts. You know, it starts. <laughs> and that's, in my case, it was just the opposite. My, my my first 41 tournaments, I bowled for the title six times in the next 80. I never bowled for him again. So I, I got worse as I went on. He was, he got better, actually. And 74, 75, right in there, uh, you knew. You knew that, you know, he was a factor. Um, it is my belief that if you took away Anthony Roth and Holman in that era, and remember, the reason I say that is, is because they were winning seven, eight, nine tournaments a year between them during that period of time, the middle 70s. Yeah. And they, they were the favorites every week. If you take those three away, he's now a favorite. Now, keep in mind, if he's sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth, those are the guys that beat him. If they weren't there, he's on a lot more shows. And if he didn't have to bowl them, he's on a lot. You know, he has a chance for more wins in match play, right? So. Yeah. If you start to think about how close a guy got from being a superstar, he's probably the guy that, that, that had the chance to be a superstar who was never looked at like he was a superstar. You know, he wasn't flamboyant like Marshall running him out and showing fists and slapping off the crowd. He was very sedate as a bowler. But I'll tell you what, in the ninth and tenth, if, if anybody needed a strikeout to win a game, you know, other than maybe – Coco or Roth, I'd have put my money on Roy Buckley. I really would have. Ice water. I'll tell you what, man, those are some huge compliments. Um, You know, I want to just sidetrack one a little bit here. Uh, I got to add this. You know, his wife, Alice, uh, was just awesome. Uh, You know, many times if a husband was bowling bad, uh, the wife would avoid me or even give me a dirtier look. Like, it was my fault he was bowling bad. But no matter what would happen, I'd walk by the concourse, 
and there were the owls always saying to me, how are the boys treating you, Phantom? <laughs> and, and That's she was funny. Hanging, yeah, she she was hanging around with Joyce Lemon Jello, who was another cool character, and there were two beautiful women that backed their husbands 100%, but never let friendship get in the way of any of that. But you're right, he was awesome. And, and you know what? He, he looked beautiful going to the line, but once the ball left his hand, he was unorthodox. All you saw was elbows and fists and everything. You, you didn't know what kind of a move he was going to make. <laughs> he was too you much. Know, Jerry Levine was the uh, PBA press room director when Roy first came out. And when Roy won um, his first PBA event, uh, the way Jerry started off the heading was the Sphinx breaks the jinx. <laughs> and from then on, we called him the Sphinx. He looked like the Sphinx. He never changed expression. You know, you see the Sphinx for for 2,000 years. It's the same expression. Roy (laughs) Buckley was like the Sphinx. It was the perfect name. We called him Sphinx from then on. He loved it. And, of course, he also had the nickname Buckwheat. Now, the Buckwheat story is a very interesting story. Uh, It it happened um, at uh, Chippewa Lanes in South Bend, Indiana, and uh, uh, Buckley was bowling for the title uh, in the highest-scoring PBA event uh, of any era uh, until the advent uh, of of urethane and resin. Six guys averaged over 240 with rubber balls. That's where Barry Asher averaged 247 with a Ripley. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The Ripley was as hard as a rock of granite. And Buckwheat finished second, throwing a caramel white dot to Barry. Average right around 243, 244. And I guess him and and Carmen had been going at it. And Carmen would always bust his chops about throwing a nothing ball. And, you know, what are you going to get some ribs on that thing? Boy, I can read the label at 40 feet, boy. You know, (laughs) I wonder why you leave the five pin on a half pocket hit. Nothing's going to penetrate the one three, boy. And he would (laughs) bust him, you know. And I guess Buckley bought some buckwheat cereals and when he bowled Carmen, I guess it was in match play and uh, they were both bowling very well. And uh, I think Roy, Roy tripled the tent to beat him like 79 or 78 or 69 to 68 or something like that. Stood up on the seats, took a box of buckwheats and took the cereal and started eating buckwheats standing up on the seats. <laughs> and it's the only time he had really ever you know, done anything like that. But, you know, when you, when you tried to upstage Carmen, uh, everybody loved it because no one could upstage Carmen. No. So, you, you know, you know, if you took a shot out of it, it was like taking a shot at Ali, you know, anybody that went against Ali, good luck. Well, you couldn't go against Carmen as a showman, but Roy had this unbelievably dry sense of humor. And when I started to drill balls a couple of times in the early drillings, uh, 76, 77, right in there. You know, I started the comp program. Keep in mind, there was no comp program uh, when when I started drilling. When the ball companies realized they can have balls fall in my boss and I would drill them daily and they would then have their staff members handing out balls. So uh, Columbia was handing out a lot of balls and Roy loved Columbia equipment. And he, they were handing out some yellow dots on the winter tour of 76, quite a bit, maybe 30, 40 a week. I think I drilled a ball for Roy and I missed a span by a quarter inch on both fingers. Cause I couldn't read the ruler the next morning after playing cards all night. And then 
Next one. He liked to load them up. He liked to go like seven, eight, seven, eights, two and a half on top. And I drilled him a ball that had one and a quarter on the side, one and a quarter on the fingers. And so I put a weight hole in it. And he gets the ball out of the box says, what's this, Lickstein? I says, well, you got a weight hole. He says, well, that's the only thing you give away free to make the ball legal. You get a free hole, get a free weight hole from Litchie. And everybody's <laughs> Everybody starts laughing in the locker. <laughs> you know, he, he had this way about him. And um, he, um, we sat a lot of poker games together. Now, keep in mind, that was that was the gambling decade yeah. of the PBA Tour. You had Harry Golden, whose health at that time was great. He's still a young man. And then you had, each week, the hospitality room. So, in the, in the poker games was Mike Lemangelo, Roy Buckley, Don Johnson, Myself, Jay Robinson, Dave Frame, and Sam Flanagan. Now, this is a pretty tough poker game. Then we'll throw in Jimmy Certain. We'll throw in Bobby Jacks. And then later, you know, in in the middle of the of the decade, we'll we'll throw in uh Joe Berardi. And uh, what we've got is all these gamblers who gambled all the time, anyways. These are gamblers. These are people that bet football, love to play cards. Love to bowl for money. Love to uh, sit down in Las Vegas and play blackjack or play craps. And I'm losing left and right for the decade. I'm not talking for a week. I'm not talking <laughs> for a night. Finally, I start to get a little more conservative. And Buckley and Flank said, Richie, you're playing tonight? I said, no, I'm not playing. What do you mean you're not playing? You lost a bunch of money. Aren't you going to come in and chase it? I said, no. They go to the other poker players and they said, Let's get up 200 and we'll spot them 200 to play. <laughs> so they get up $200. They come in a locker room, you know, Thursday night, let's go here. I says, what's this? Oh, we'll give this to you if you'll play. I says, sure, I'll play. So they would spot me 200. I'd still lose 300 at the end of the night, you know. <laughs> we, we were such a family, Len. And boy, it's tough talking about him, you know. I know. Um, he, let, let he me was jump a good in. one, Len. He was he was a good one, bro. He was he was quite a man, a wonderful man. Let, let me jump in and save you a couple of tears for a minute, because I'll throw in a laugh or two here. Uh, there was another guy that was out there all the time. That was Gary Mage. He was a gambler too. He was nuts. He, he was a lefty. He didn't even care about bowling. He just wanted to be there all night to play in the card games. So one night uh, I was going in the bowling alley one o'clock in the morning. Because I had to wash all the towels and all that. They said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go wash towels. Well, come here. So they walked me up into the card game. And they says, we're going to pay you a quarter to shuffle. Because we don't want to waste a whole lot of time. So we have an extra deck of cards over here. You can be shuffling while we're playing. And we can get two or three more hands in you know, each round. And so they give me a quarter. I think 35 40 bucks just shuffling cards. These guys were crazy. <laughs> Buckley had so many sayings, and Gary Mays, by the way, before I go any further, you know, uh, you know, he just retired last year. What a what an unbelievable job he did. Forty, thirty-five to forty years of going between Seattle and San Diego, yes. up and down the West Coast on I five. You had to know every rest area on I five. Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, anyways. Gary, I believe, has, and I don't want to, I, I don't know the number. I think he has the record 
for most consecutive losses on, on the PBA telecast. I think he went 11 or 12 TV shows and, and lost his first game every time. Wow. Every, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a dubious record. We were talking about it the last time I saw him in 2018 and I had, I asked him about it and he told me how many it was. It's scary. He made like 12 shows, bowled a game, never won a game. That's cold. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But Buckley, you know, he had all these sayings and um, I don't know who it was. Somebody was being introduced and they were very prestigious. And he looked at me and says, Yo, let's see, they introduce them every week, but there's only one thing. I said, what's that? Well, he says, well, you can't eat prestige. <laughs> I use the word prestige. You can't eat prestige, let's go. It's about how much you got in your wallet. It's not about prestige, let's go. And then he would come up, he would come up with these sayings. And one day, I don't know, we were talking about the way I was treated in Connecticut after I became player service director. And I was not happy. Okay. And there were a lot of people in Connecticut, uh, especially in the Hartford area that uh, didn't like me because I had quit bowling and became player service director and, and took the money rather than went out there and, and been a, a normal touring player. Like I was, I quit, you know, and form my own business. And I didn't have too many real good friends in the bowling community at that time. When I got back to Connecticut and I was saying to Roy that I had about enough of this and I'm going to get the hell out of here and I'm going to move. I'm going to go to Florida. And he looks at me and says, let's go. You know what that is? I says, what's that, right? He says, it's called the 50-mile rule. I says, what's the 50-mile rule? He says, where you grew up within 50 miles of where you grew up, you're the biggest A-H that ever lived. And outside of that, you're you're a legend. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, you're right. Everywhere I go but here. He says, that's right. I can't stand it. Can they, Litchie? I said, no, they can't. He called it the 50-mile rule. Wow, now, that's awesome. And we talked about that later on in our lives. You know, I would say these things to him about what he had said to me at, at an earlier time, especially the poker games. I mean, these guys would pay me to play. Len. Yeah. Now, I want you. You've never heard that, Len. I know you have. No. Of all this, no, they would pay me. This happened quite a bit in the late 70s when I started to drill a couple of hundred balls a week. You know, I was making 20, 20 bucks a ball, so they knew I was flush. They knew we had three, dollars $4,000 by every Thursday. So they, they waited for that Thursday night, Dave. They would do anything to get me, and they made me other promises as well, but I can't repeat them on the air because this is a family show. But I can tell you, but I can tell you some of the promises, and they were real promises. I'm not going to get into them. It's, it's, you can't do that. But uh, I distinctly remember them paying me to play poker, knowing that sooner or later I'd go into my pocket after I lost the 200 they gave me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you got to remember also who he hung with. Now, he hung with, you know, Pappas. Uh, he hung with Sam Flanagan. He hung with, with great action bowlers, uh, very accurate bowlers, very precise bowlers that did not throw a lot of ball. You know, if you look at all the guys that come out of Columbus, the Louis Moore, pretty much straight right at him, great bowler. Roy straight right at him. They didn't have what I would call classic games like Holman or Roth. You know, they didn't get on it and, and, and really get a handful of it. They didn't look like a young Pete Weber, you know, with a backswing at 11 o'clock or anything like that. Yeah. You know, they, these guys, low backswings, uh, 
belt high at best, right? Uh, extremely accurate, right up the track, uh, end over end roll, playing quarter boards, uh, three piece pancake weight blocks, no help, no reps with Avalon pads, you know, no running out to the truck every block for four new cores or laid out by some mathematician. Uh, these these guys were, were pure bowlers, especially in that part of the country. Uh, Southern Ohio had had some horses coming out of, of that state. And of course, you know, the Cincinnati area, Columbus area. Uh, yeah, one, th one thing I really remember, all those guys who hung around together, like you just mentioned, Flanagan, Pappas, you know, Lemon Jello, uh, all of them, Roy, they were all family guys. They, they were all, you know, happily married or at least stayed married because they loved their wife. They didn't go around screwing around all the time. They bowled, played cards, hung around together. It was a family, like you said. It was, it was an awesome era. Well, it was a time when we would sit in the bar at night. Everybody liked to have a drink. And, and you know, him, him and Flanagan loved CC and Seven. So it, it, we'd be at the bar. I'd be Smitty and Buckley and me and Flanagan. Larry Lobb, you know, we, he'd have a beer or two. And we would sit there. And Don Johnson would come in and have a drink. And we would sit there and discuss the whole day, every pair, every match play game. We'd talk about Earl, and we'd talk about Holman, and we'd talk about Roth, and they were dominant, and we would talk about them in a good way. Uh, we, we would talk about who was bowling good that week and what they accomplished that week, like if Sutar got on a roll or Burton. And I'll never forget when, when Couture started to get good in the late 70s. And, and, we would, and Roy would say to me, that's the last guy I ever thought would be that good, Litchie. And I said, I said the same thing to him. I said, there's no way this guy was supposed to be this good, but he never gave up. Boy, I said, the guy was a fighter. He figured it out. He got great at 32. From 25 to 32, he was terrible. Uh, all of a sudden, in 1977, you know, he gets on a roll, and that lasted 35 years. So, you know, when, when, when we would talk about these things, because we all lived the same life. When we got in the lounge at night, we were very close. They were very close-knit group. And I'll never forget when, I, when my wife died, uh, Roy came up to me in Toledo and, and said to me that him and Dick Weber and Johnny and Ernie and Tita wanted to take me to dinner and that you know they, they were concerned about me. And when, when she died, Roy called me and asked me if, if, if I wanted him to drive from Columbus to Connecticut for her wake and funeral, and he said, "I'll be there for you, Litchie." And I, I said, "No, I'm out. Uh, you know, don't, don't. You know, the weather's terrible. It was the end of January. Those things really stuck in my mind when I when I found out he died. You know, I, I wanted to say them uh, with you because you do such a great job. And these were our friends. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, this is a tough one for me. Yeah, I understand, Bart. But trust I'm me, I'm honored. I'm honored, but it's tough because. You know, you're never going to see him again. You know, yeah. and now he got some memories, but boy, they were fun. And he was great. And he was probably the guy that was closest to be a superstar that they don't really call one, even though he's a PBA Hall of Famer, which he deserves. Yeah. And USBC. He had a great record in the USBC. You know, he had, a, he had a couple of eagles and he had some seconds and thirds. I mean, the guy could play. You know, the fortunate <laughs> thing, Pards, was, you know, he didn't, he didn't suffer for a long time. And it's not the, not a way to justify it, but, well, I'm sure thankful he didn't rot in a bed for two or three years. You know, and he went 
relatively quick. And Alice, she understands it. Uh, she's a wonderful wife. They were both lucky to, to have each other all those years. And then she, the old clock at the wall tells me we're about done. You got one more quick one that you can give a, a folks? Well, I, I would just like all the folks to understand that uh, for me personally, uh, to do this with you and talk about our friends and living le legends of the game, living legends and men that have passed on is um, very special for me. I feel honored that you could ask me. And I know Carmen would love to have said some things about Roy. And uh, we love Carmen. Uh, if Carmen's listening, uh, I, I want him to understand how much we love him and, and what he's done for the sport. Because I know we had talked about him earlier today. I know Roy bowled with Carmen in some uh, PBA senior doubles, uh, senior touring player doubles. They teamed up. And imagine Carmen and Roy as a team. And how's, <laughs> how strong is that? Um, and I know that uh, he's up there listening and laughing. Uh, I, I know that uh, he was loved, uh, especially by the, the touring players of, of the generation that we were out there together, you know, the, the guys from 40, 45 years ago. And uh, I talked with him uh, uh, to Soupy about Ernie and Barry Asher about Ernie, uh, about Roy. And, um, uh, Sutar and, and Barry uh, loved Roy, and we talked about him. And Ernie loved Roy. We talked about Roy, and uh, these guys, you know, are grieving like I am, and you are, and the people of of this country that knew him. But um, like you say, our job is to never forget, Len. And when, right. and when you started your show, you said you wouldn't let it go by, and you're not gonna. Nope. And I commend you. I commend you for that. Well, thanks, Bard. You know. Uh... There's nothing like the history and tradition of anything. And once you lose it, you've lost it all. And we're not going to lose it with the PBA. So I got to sign off before it clicks off, Bards. But I want to thank you for coming on board and telling a few stories and making us smile a little bit, cry a little bit, and remember our good buddies. So thanks again. Let's go. Thank you so much, Phantom. Look forward to more of your shows in the future, hopefully on a better note, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll have one where we're not celebrating the life of somebody who passed where me and you could tell some stories. I'm sure people would love to hear our stories together, but God <laughs> bless you, my friend. Stay healthy out there on the West coast, please. Thanks. Let's go. I love you parts and Phantom fans. That's going to wrap up another show for this week. And we're going to thank our sponsors uh, for giving us some extra time this week. And we'll, we'll thank them again, double next time. So, for Phantom Radio, this is the Phantom. When you're down and troubled and you need some loving care and nothing, well, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me. Soon I will